In today's Trouble with the Snap, we will be recapping Week 7, discussing the Iowa Hawkeyes and Jimbo Fisher's future before hopping into some life advice. Cue the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State Dalen West takes in and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Trouble with the Snap. I am Colton Deutsch, joined as always by my colleague and Texas A&M future legend and current legend, Will Shemansky. Will, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you sir? Not too bad. Nice little bye week. So I just hung out, watched football pretty much all day long. Well, that's good for you. I wish my weekend went that smooth. Um, you know, pretty disappointing weekend all around for me because uh, one, as we all know, AM lost. Uh, it felt like a pretty pretty heartbreaking loss to uh, Tennessee this past weekend. And two, um, I'm an Astro fan being from Houston and they are currently down two nothing right now in the ALCS. Um, I was at that game uh, on Sunday and I thought there was absolutely no way that we would lose that game. Game one feeling good. Justin Verlander on the mound and well, the offense forgot to show up. So um, to all the Ranger fans listening out there, congratulations on your two Oh lead. Um, and to all the other Astro fans listening out there, pray for us. I caught some of the game today. That bases loaded that resulted in no runs was certainly not ideal. Yeah, that was the um, that truly was the difference in the game because they go on to uh, fight and claw their way back into it a little bit uh, later towards the towards the end of it. Um, but you still ultimately drop the game by one. And if you can just scratch one to maybe two across right there, that's the difference between losing uh, compared to a tie game or even maybe even a win. So. Absolutely brutal, and I hope they can turn it around uh, on Wednesday in Arlington. Well, while it might not have been the most fun baseball weekend, there were still some great college football games on, even if one of the big ones did not go your way. No, absolutely. Um, incredible weekend of games. Um, obviously, starting it off with U of H in West Virginia. That game was electric. Uh, then you get to Saturday. Well, excuse me. Then you get to Friday, and then you have Colorado-Stanford, which was incredible. Um, then Saturday, how how could you not talk about Oregon and Wa- Oregon and Washington? Um, and then to have the nightcap on Saturday, you had Notre Dame going on going to um, excuse me, you had USC going to South Bend to take on Notre Dame. So all in all, um, a pretty loaded weekend, but just a great weekend entirely for college football and just some awesome games that we just saw. Yeah, I think this was one of the better weekends. Also, my team was on a bye week, so I just got to chill out and enjoy all the games, which was a lot of fun. But it seemed like there was pretty much good games in every slot every yeah. day. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, let's just dive in. Uh, you want to start us off with the U of H West Virginia? Yeah, so Thursday night action, the Holgo Bowl, Dana Holgerson's new team versus his old team. 
U of H beats West Virginia 41 to 39 on a last second Donovan Smith Hail Mary. This game had pretty much everything and a back and forth game and U of H took a double digit lead with about five to six minutes left. West Virginia fights back, ends up taking the lead on, it was either a third or fourth down conversion, about a 40 something yard touchdown. The guy broke a bunch of tackles and scored and yeah, 12 seconds left there. West Virginia's quarterback, Garrett Green, waved to the crowd and kind of taunted a little bit, which resulted in Houston having some good field position. And yeah, Holgo went from being pretty pissed off with 12 seconds left to launching a Hail Mary that was ended up getting tipped in his receiver's arms. And yeah, U of H wins. And I'm pretty sure Dana Holgerson was at Kirby Ice House all night long, having a good time, enjoying his win. Absolutely incredible game. Um, electric and certainly uh, you can't ask for much of a better tone setter um, for one of your Thursday games going into a pretty loaded weekend. Um, all right, let's jump into Friday night's action. Stanford over Colorado, 46 to 43 in double overtime. My gosh, what a shootout. What a thriller. Um, I, I hate to even ask, but did we cover this game in our last episode? We didn't even talk about it. I didn't yeah. think there was anything there. And I, for a while, it looked like there was not going to be anything there. Yeah, so I um, I apologize in advance, or not in advance, but I apologize now for not covering that game. I, but to, truth be told, going into it, we thought there would be absolutely nothing there, as we just said. But anyways, um, as I was saying, incredible game. Um, you know, Colorado blew a 29-point lead. They were up 21. They were up 29 nothing at halftime, you know, thinking – um, this game's already in the bag and, you know, we're feeling real good and at Folsom field and Boulder. And all of a sudden here come the Stanford Cardinal led by quarterback Ashton Daniels. You know, um, when it was all said and done, he completed 27 passes on 45 attempts for 396 yards and four tutties. So that kid had himself a game, um, man, Colorado. I, what a collapse. That was the largest blown lead that they've had in school history for football. Um, just an abysmal showing in that second half and especially going into overtime. Um, if, I, I believe in overtime, the main, yeah, it, I, I, it's not that I believe. I remember this now. Um, Shooter Sanders got picked off, made a really boneheaded decision um, in overtime, and that left Stanford with um, uh, a pretty easy easy win right there because you have to, have to uh, kick a field goal and you walk into Victoria. So that's what they did ultimately. But, um, man, I, I don't really have much else to say about this game, Colton, aside from, you know, Stanford, incredible comeback, way to, you know, not uh, throw in the towel at halftime, way to fight back and get yourself a hard-fought win on the road. Colton, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I mean, you can't talk about this game without mentioning Alec A.O. Mayner's 13 receptions for 294 yards, and a lot of that was on Travis Hunter. And one thing about Travis Hunter – He's a fantastic player. This was his first game back, and I think they might have just put a little too much on his plate. I mean, every player is going to have a bad game, even the best ones like Travis Hunter is. But for him to have to have 13 receptions for 140 as a receiver and then have to cover a really good receiver, it just did not work out for, well for him. And, yeah, that catch where he pinned it on his back, was or his helmet, was pretty crazy. And, yeah, I mean, this was just not good for Boulder. I think I want to talk about it when we get to Oregon, but sometimes these coaches, I think – I think they coach not to lose instead of trying to win the game. And Dion, up three, could have gone for it in plus territory on a fourth down to try and close out the game, knowing his defense was struggling. And, yeah, I mean, he didn't do it. He punted. It was a good punt, but Stanford goes right on the field. 
and ties the game. And yeah, you mentioned it. Shadir Sanders is a fantastic player. We, we mentioned it earlier in the year. He holds the ball way too long and he made a mistake. He never on a throw late across the middle. That's what he did in interception. And then Stanford, Stanford gets the winning field goal. So good for Troy Taylor, his, his first year at Stanford. And that's pretty bad for Colorado in terms of wanting to make a bowl game. I think they're going to have kind of a rough go at it if they want to become bowl eligible. Yeah, no, I think that uh, that exact same thing as you. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on too is that, you know, the thing that Colorado that was really evident in this game was, you know, to be fair, you're up twenty nine nothing at halftime, so it's uh it's pretty easy if you're on the winning side of that in the half that you might kind of call off the dogs, maybe just a little bit, but still you can't lose that kind of just like. Uh, like foot on the foot on the gas mentality. Um, and so I think the ultimate thing that I saw from them um, once they're up 29, nothing is they just kind of just try to sleepwalk their way through the rest of this game, thinking that 29 points would be enough. Um, and clearly it wasn't. Um, the other thing that's kind of glaring to me too, is I, t- I talked to you about this just briefly before we started recording this episode is what the hell was Shadur Sanders doing, posting his NIL link at halftime on his Instagram. Did you, did you catch that? Yeah, that's pretty bad. It makes me – I wonder if someone else runs his social media, but I don't know. I mean, I know NBA players mention that guys go on their phones at halftime, but it's just not a good idea. It's just not a good look at all, especially, you know, Colorado's still trying to um, – obviously, they start out hot, then they drop a few games, and, you know, they're trying to bounce back and try to get back on track and be, become bull eligible. Um, just not a good look at all. Yeah, and that's a pretty clear sign that your team isn't as locked in. And, yeah, like you said, not a good look when you blow a 29-point lead. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. Do you want to jump into the big, some Big Ten action real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Ohio State destroys Purdue 41-7. to Really not much to see here. I think Ohio State had looked a little sloppy early on in the year, but good to see their offense start to click there with Kyle McCord and – Marvin Harrison Jr. star running back Shavon Henderson was not able to go, so we'll see if he can play against Penn State this weekend. But, yeah, I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you got to like what you see there, just handling an opponent on the road. And an opponent that while Purdue has been struggling, they always seem to pull an upset here or there, especially against one against Ohio State five years ago. But, yeah, no problem there for the Buckeyes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of sucks because I've said this like t- a million times now on the pod, but that 2018 Purdue-Ohio State game is one of my favorite of all times. I was really pulling for the the Boilermakers, or as you like to call them, the Spoilermakers on Saturday. And unfortunately, they just weren't able to get the job done. Um, all right, jumping back to the SEC a little bit. Um, Alabama at Arkansas. So this was, at least in my opinion, probably the best 11 a.m. game that we had on Saturday. Um, you know, Alabama started the game. They scored 24 straight points or 24 consecutive points, I believe. Um, and you know, clearly with Bama, when you're, when you're in Tuscaloosa, you put up a a big number like that and your opponent hasn't really done much. You're feeling great about yourself. You're feeling awesome. Nothing can ever really go wrong. And then all of a sudden KJ Jefferson decided to step up and become a, a damn good quarterback in that second half. Um, all in all, crazy game. Um, you know this um, this Alabama team. You know they're they're still Alabama. They're still led by Nick Saban, which is always you know I'll never I'll never count 
uh, count them out or doubt them at all as long as Nick Saban's running the show. But, you know, we've been saying it all year that this this has certainly been one of Bama's weakest teams that they've had probably in the in the past decade. And I feel like this was once again on display again this past Saturday against a two and four Arkansas team um, that honestly had a little to no business being in this game at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, Arkansas, or uh, excuse me, Alabama still ultimately did just enough to pull off a win. Um, as for Arkansas, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode um, or we touched on it briefly, you know, Sam Pittman, I love the guy. I really do. But Arkansas is off to a two and five start. Is that, yeah, they're off to a two and five start now. Um, not looking real good in Fayetteville for the Hogs. Um, I'm hoping he can turn it around quick because I do love Sam Pittman. But ultimately, um, man, just what a game we just saw this past Saturday. Um, all right. Now, here's come. here comes my absolute least favorite part of today's episode. Um it's uh the AM and Tennessee game. So I I really don't have mu- many thoughts on this game. I mean I do, but I don't want to have a full fledged like 30 minute long rant. Um so I'll condense it as much as I can. Um you know, going into this of uh, this this season, um back in August, the main discussion was when AM brought in Bobby Petrino was you know, how would the offense look? How would the offense look? Would Jimbo finally give up the play calling? And at certain times this season, yes, it absolutely feels like he has um, the offense when they actually execute plays and, you know, get space and separation for receivers and the offensive line um, actually gives quarterbacks time to make plays develop and make them happen. The offense has looked good at times. However, um, that usually tends to come against lesser opponents. And as we have seen back-to-back weeks against some of the better teams in the SEC, um, it still looks like the exact same offense from last year. And that is so disappointing. Um, And it sucks too, because the defense this year has really stepped it up, especially in the run defense game. Um, Obviously the A&M secondary can get absolutely scorched at any given moment, but um the biggest emphasis for AM this past offseason defensive wise was to stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. And, you know, for the vast majority of the season up to this point, they have until they played Tennessee where, uh, you know, Tennessee churns um, and gets going on offense about just as, um, excuse me, Tennessee's number one offensive um, success comes when they run the football. I'm sorry, that was a really messy and sloppy way of saying that. Um, anyways, Tennessee, let, let me rephrase this. Tennessee has the most success when they run the football. Wow, that took really long to get there. Anyways, um, and clearly, as AM has been touting themselves all season up to this point, that they've been able to stop the run, stop the run. That did not happen on Saturday. They let Tennessee run for over 230 yards on them. Not a good look, not, not what you're looking for at all, especially in a conference game on the road, nonetheless. Um, all in all, extremely disappointing game for AM. Um, as for Tennessee, you know, Joe Milton, as we've talked about, um, the dude can literally throw the ball like 500 yards and surprises no one. However, as we all know, um, when you got a cannon as strong as his, you're probably not going to be the most accurate guy throwing the pigskin. And that is certainly the case with him. Um, you know, there are many times in this game this past Saturday, I was watching it where it felt like he missed a wide open slant or 
you know, maybe like it's like his tailback on a little wheel route right outside of the backfield or certain things like that. Um, so as for him, if Tennessee really wants to reach their true and full potential, he's got to, you know, sharpen up his accuracy. Um, but at the same time, though, Tennessee's run game is that good that they can carry them and keep them in a lot of games they probably shouldn't be in. Um, but ultimately, you know, great win, a really sloppy game, pretty boring game. Um, but at the end of the day, Tennessee was able to pull out a hard-fought win over A&M and uh, pretty disappointing results all in all for me. Uh, Colton, what did you see? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, pretty boring game. And if you would have told me Joe Milton's stats beforehand, I would have thought Andem won by double digits. But yeah, I'm with you. This Andem offense looks pretty much the exact same. Credited to Tennessee's defense, but this Andem offensive line is just awful. And I actually don't know how Max Johnson got out of so many kind of would-be sacks. I texted Will this probably in the first quarter, and it kind of magnifies how bad it was. In the first quarter, I, I texted Will... And I was just like, I don't see how Max Johnson is going to finish the season and maybe not even the game. He was just getting pounded. And yeah, and I think also really early third quarter, I texted Will saying next, I saying that I thought that the next touchdown was going to win the game. And I was kind of joking, but it ended up being true. And yeah, I mean, I want to ask you a question about AM's defense because I know they have not been the main problem, but with Tennessee racking up over 230 yards rushing, how do you feel about that considering that Tennessee really had no threat of a passing game? Wait, what was the second half of that question? You kind of cut out a little bit. With Tennessee being able to run for over 230 yards, mm-hmm. is that a concern for you considering that they did not have much of a passing threat? Oh, absolutely it is. Um, and especially, you know, seeing just exactly what AM did to the Alabama run game a week before to what happened to them this past Saturday, it's – a complete night and day difference, whether, you know, with the eye test or you look at the stats and the box score, it kind of makes no sense. And also considering, I believe AM going into their matchup with Tennessee on Saturday, what had the number one run defense in the, in the conference, or if it wasn't number one overall, then it was certainly top three. Um, so, you know, when you have this moment, when you have this confidence, this kind of swag about it, when it comes to your run defense, um, you can't, allow games like this past Saturday to happen if you want to, you know, continue to truly carry this football team. Um, but even then, you know, um, you know, it's it's extremely hard to maintain pretty much anything, especially in the world of college football. So something had to give at some point on that defensive front. Um, but it absolutely is a concern, especially when the offense isn't moving the ball or if, uh, you know, Max Johnson's being really careless with it, giving the ball right back to Tennessee on a few plays or a few drives as we saw. Um, either that or they're just going three and out and truly just can't move the ball. Um, that defense is on the field a lot. And they are they are hardly ever rest, getting rest time on the bench or, you know, putting down their Gatorades and waters whatnot to kind of recharge for the next series because it's literally as soon as they sit down, they're right back on the field. Um, and so I certainly think that the offense is also to blame in this a bit, at least that defensive showing on Saturday, because they truly gave them no time to recharge on the sidelines and be as sharp as they could be. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really disappointed. I feel like I'm kind of ranting now, so I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, it was, it was something that I was wondering because look, I was surprised that Tennessee was able to run the ball like that at points in that game. And 
from a Tennessee side of it, you improved to five and one. And I guess it's good in a way for Josh Heupel, kind of an offensive coach to win a low scoring game like that. But I really think they should look into giving Nico Lamablia some snaps because I thought Milton was going to lose the game for them. I, I certainly did too. Um, and you know, especially with Nico being that true, true freshman five-star quarterback, I mean, he has four games he can appear in and still take a red shirt. So it, it wouldn't hurt to get him reps at some point at all during this season. I'm not, I don't know if he's already appeared in a game or not, um, but he's your future. And, um, you know, you want to get him as much experience as possible before he is your, you know, tr- official starter there one day. All right, let's, uh, let's move yeah, on. Yeah, I wonder if you're looking. Oh. Yeah, sorry about that. that. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, no, you're good. All right, let's. Uh, can we end my suffering and move on to the next game, if you don't mind? Yeah, Washington beats Oregon, thirty-six to thirty-three. This game completely delivered. This felt like two awesome teams going at it. It was actually pretty physical at times too. Bo Nix and Michael Penix were both awesome, but yeah, I loved how physical Dan Lanning's team was and how they were able to fight back. I loved how aggressive Dan Lanning was. I think you can kind of question him going for on fourth down at the end of the first half, and I think he actually said as much. But I love landing going for it on fourth down at the end of the game to try and seal the game. And I think you can question the play call, but not really his decision. And it didn't work out, but in the end, Washington goes down, scores in two plays, and Oregon ends up having a chance to go down there and tie or win the game. And they miss a field goal that was makeable, but college kickers are college kickers. And yeah, Washington gets a huge win. Seattle was going crazy. Washington, their offense gives low-key 2019 LSU vibes there. Michael Penix is probably the Heisman favorite right now. Their receivers are fantastic. Giles Jackson is our fourth receiver, and he's a really good player. But Romo, Dunsey, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, those dudes are absolutely awesome. And yeah, that was a great game. I hope that these two teams meet again in the Pac-12 championship because that game was awesome. So I don't want to, you know, jump any guns here or sound any alarms, but I do agree with you um, on what you just said, how uh, Washington kind of gives off a 2019 LSU vibe. Um, you know, you have an absolute world-class quarterback in an electric receiving room. Um, just that entire offense itself is just filled with nothing but playmakers and ball players. Um Incredibly fun to watch, especially when Michael Penix literally feels like every single time he he takes a deep shot, it's always dropped directly in the bucket where it needs to be. Um, So I know that making comparisons to LSU, the 2019 LSU, um, excuse me, the 2019 LSU team, you got to be careful because that truly is one of the best college football teams of all time, just straight up. Uh, So comparing anyone to them is a pretty tall ask, a pretty tall order. But in recent memory, I would argue that um, aside from probably 2020 Alabama, I guess, um, this Washington team has probably been the closest one, uh, the closest team to kind of replicate that same formula that worked for LSU in 2019. Yeah, I mean, those teams were both so good on Saturday. I really think those were two legit, legit teams. Yeah, that was just, just it was just such a, a joy to watch that game. It was just so fun. It was just big plays after big plays. That's all it was. Yeah, Oregon had a goal line stand, and then Washington gets the ball back, and they find a way to score in two plays. 
I mean, then obviously the ultimate comes down to the field goal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was an awesome game. Let's run through a couple of Big 12 games. Oklahoma State takes down Kansas 39 to 32. This felt like one that Kansas should have won. Jason Bean had a pretty good game there. And ever since Oklahoma State lost to South Alabama and they've kind of rocked with Alan Bowman at quarterback, they have looked a lot better. So we'll see if Mike Gundy can whip this team into a Big 12 title contender. Kansas State takes down Texas Tech and Lubbock 38 to 21. One thing to note here is that. K-State returned their quarterback, Will Howard, who started last season, but he's been a bit limited in the run game this year. Teams have seemed to figure him out a little bit, and that's hurt him in the passing game. They have a true freshman, Avery Johnson, who's a big-time guy for them. That They kind of threw in this game, let him play a lot, and he was 8-for-9 passing and ran for five touchdowns. So I'm kind of looking at if things work out as I think they will. That Texas-Kansas State game in a few weeks, and Austin could decide who plays Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And Florida takes down South Carolina 41-39 to in Columbia. Great quarterback battle here, but actually funny enough between Graham Mertz and Spencer Rattler, but Florida ends up finding a way to win it in the end. And, yeah, Shane Beamer and his squad fall to 2-5, and five, so not ideal there. See if they can pick up the pieces. And Beamer ball is not seeming to work in Columbia this season. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, their schedule is always tough, but I don't, I don't see how they're going to turn the season around right now, which is unfortunate because Spencer Rattler is actually playing really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Iowa probably just won the Big Ten West, beating Wisconsin and Madison fifteen to six. Which of course, Tanner Mordecai goes down for Wisconsin, which is unfortunate. But honestly, don't know if it would have mattered. Iowa pretty much did nothing on offense except break off one big run, as they seem to do every single week. And yeah, they won with quarterback Deacon Hill, balling out of control, six of fourteen for thirty-seven yards and a QBR of six point two. So. Offensive explosion and the Hawkeyes are six and one. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but they have a manageable schedule going forward, and we will probably see them in Indianapolis. You know, if I'm being honest, I might have the backup Iowa quarterback jumping Michael Penix in my Heisman rankings now. Yeah, Deacon's balling. Mm-hmm. He has a combined QBR last two weeks of what eight? I thought it was. T- Who was the quarterback that had a QBR of two? Deacon Hill. Was it? Was that him last week? Yeah. Or, yeah. So he's he's on a tear. Dude's cooking. <laughs> I mean, he's going crazy. And to mention, Iowa offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz has still not hit this twenty-five point margin or this, uh, yeah, this scoring average that they need to. But yet hit. they've only lost one game, which is pretty remarkable. Um, what if they win the national championship and they have to fire him? Dude, I, that's the thing. I, I, you know, Iowa's defense is so good for the most part, but you know what they what they have on defense is what they lack on offense as we all know so the thing with Iowa is that they can make like the college football playoff right like say they hypothetically somehow win like the big 10 and they make the cfp it's like a four seed they'd lose their uh they'd they'd lose the semifinal game to whoever it'd be like 28 nothing just because you know their defense could only do so much to keep them in the game but we all know that offense is not even going to move the ball forward i mean they basically won a division by ignoring a forward, by just not using the forward pass. And Cooper DeGene, their corner, is an absolute stud. But yeah, their defense is fantastic. Yeah, I feel like every single week watching an Iowa football game, it's like watching like a, like a college football game in a time capsule. Um, what I mean by that is... Um, you know, you look at teams from like the early 1900s, like before the forward pass was even invented, like they still tended to move the ball better than Iowa did. Like some of them did. Like it's it's crazy. No, um, it, it's wild. I want to see if you can get the 
I want to find the stat nationally because I think that kind of the difference in it would be so funny if you find the Iowa total defense versus the Iowa total offense. I can, Okay, I don't know if I can pull that up in time, but um, if I find it at all, I'll, I'll definitely send it to you and we can talk about it in the next episode. Yeah, it's probably so funny. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to jump back to the SEC here if you don't mind. Um, so next game I'm going to cover over real quick. Uh, LSU over Auburn and Baton Rouge. Uh, LSU won 48-18. to um, This was probably, in my opinion, the most complete game that LSU has played all season. Um, you know, they put up a, t- uh, a total of 563 yards on offense and were able to limit Auburn to 293 total. So clearly that defense for LSU, as I've been ragging on the entire year, certainly stepped up a little bit or stepped up a lot more than they have been in the past. Um, this past Saturday, um, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels went for 325 yards. He completed 20 passes on 27 attempts, uh, and averaged 12 yards per pass. So clearly, um, that Auburn defense that seemed to be their strong point earlier in the season is no more. Um, either that or Jaden Daniels is just that good. But um, either way, great game for LSU. Um, as I was saying, their defense actually decided to show up a little bit and was able to limit Auburn to 18 points. Now, granted, Auburn does not have a competent offense at all. But at the same time, a win is a win. Um and, you know, if you're LSU, you certainly take this. And, you know, just like that, you know, um, we were all kind of writing LSU off a little bit after that loss of uh, a little after that loss of Florida State and that potential that uh, loss potentially to Ole Miss. Um, but just like that, they're right back in the thick of the SEC West. So this will be really interesting as we get down to the stretch of the season a little bit later. Um, all right, moving on here, Colton, I'll let you take this one. Air Force over Wyoming, 34 to 27. Yeah, so my my lock of the week did hit. I had Wyoming to cover, and I but I did pick them to also win the game, which did not happen. Yeah, this was a really close game. Back and forth for a bit. Air Force had to make a bit of a comeback there, but a 27-27 game, and Air Force rips off a long touchdown run with about two, two to three minutes left to take the lead and ultimately win this one. So, yeah, kind of rough for Wyoming. They had had a pretty good season so far, and they can still finish strong. But Air Force looks like the team that is in position to get that G5 New Year's 6 bid, which is pretty remarkable for a program like that. Air Force, um, I know we're talking about last week, but in this, uh, the latest AP poll, Air Force is now ranked 22 in the nation. So it's always awesome when a service academies like that are getting the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so hard for those schools, so pretty cool to see because even a lot of those Navy teams, the ones with Keenan Reynolds, they never even got a chance to play on that New Year's Six stage, so Mm-mm. would be pretty cool for Air Force. Let's take a look at a marquee matchup that was pretty ugly. Notre Dame smashes USC 48-20. to South Bend was rocking. Good for Marcus Freeman, and yeah, big struggle bus game there for Caleb Williams. He threw three picks, and look, he doesn't have much of an offensive line, as we mentioned. He had to play hero ball. I think Al Golden had a fantastic game plan defensively for the Irish. And obviously, Marcus Freeman had some input in that, too. But, yeah, I mean, Williams was flustered, and he's great at playing hero ball most of the time, but not going to work against a defense like Notre Dame. And he was sailing passes. USC was fumbling the ball. It just, just did not look good. This game never really was that close. And, I mean, Notre Dame's offense was fine. Hartman played a pretty solid game, but nothing really too crazy out of the Irish. They just pretty much dominated this game up front. And 
we've mentioned how Alex Grinch is not a great defensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley always has bad defenses, but I think Lincoln just runs a soft program. I mean, every team pretty much has ever beat him at Oklahoma or USC is pretty much built the same way. It's just the tough physical teams just like crush them. And yeah, I mean, if they play Utah this week, if Cam Rising ever comes back, I think that Utah would also win that game. And I don't see how USC is going to beat Washington or Oregon. I didn't think they were going to do it before last week. And this really just kind of reiterated that in my mind because Oregon and Washington looked pretty damn physical to me. And USC is not that at all. But Zachariah Branch is electric. Yeah, I'm with you on that one with Zachariah Branch. Um, Man, so this game... You and I have kind of been talking about how USC is just—it's just the Caleb Williams show. Aside from you know his his um, his few electric wide receivers, it's him and his wide receivers, and that's about it. Um, and clearly, that was exactly what happened on Saturday. Um, you know, and um, you know this game really proved just exactly what happens when Caleb Williams isn't as sharp as he usually is. I mean, he had, as you said, he had those three picks. He had three in the first half, um, I might add. So clearly that crowd in South Bend must have either been flustering the hell out of him or he was just confused on his reads or what he was seeing. But either way, whatever Notre Dame was doing, it was getting to him and it was getting to him early. Um, and that's all you can ask for, especially going up against, you know, a, a pretty big rival in, um, in USC if you're Notre Dame. Um, I didn't realize that, by the way. I feel kind of stupid. I just learned about that like a couple weeks ago, oddly enough. I apologize. Anyways, um, all in all, though, um, you know, as I mentioned, USC defense, nowhere to be found, and clearly that was still the case. Um, as you said, though, Colton, US, um, Notre Dame just kind of had um, – it wasn't anything too eye-catchy. I mean, they put up 48 points, but their offense wasn't, you know, just – throwing the ball like 50 yards down the field every play like how some how some certain teams might but um all in all um yeah just a great win for Notre Dame um you know they're feeling good it feels like they might be back on track a little bit um yeah uh, as for Notre Dame is what I was just saying you know great win and as for USC there's a there's certainly a lot of things they got to clean up, especially once they get into the true meat and potatoes of their Pac-12 schedule. Yeah, that is not what you want. If you're Lincoln Riley, let's look at another big night game. North Carolina and Mac Brown improved to six and zero, taking down Miami forty-one to thirty-one. Yeah, I mean Miami showed up. This game was tight for a while, but. I thought Tyler Van Dyke had a pretty good game outside of the two turnovers. They're able to put up some points on a Carolina defense that have been playing better of late. But yeah, Drake May, I still want to see him be a little sharper considering he completed just around 50% of his passes, but he threw some dimes. And Tez Walker, we can see his impact. He had over 100 yards receiving and three touchdowns. And Marion Hampton ran the ball well as always. So yeah, Carolina 6-0. And and it looks like they're in a pretty good position to make the ACC championship after my other lock of the week, Louisville fell to a really bad pit team. So good one for Carolina and the heels stay undefeated. So I'm I'm really happy about this game because this is one of my two locks of the week. By the way, both of my uh, both of my locks last week hit, and so I, I'm feeling really confident in myself going into our, our locks coming up for this upcoming week. Um, anyways, though, you know, 
UNC looked really good. Um, 41 points. That's that's never a bad day at the office by any means. Um, but as you were just saying, it, it really Tez Walker really showed his value to the team this past game because without him, um, statistically speaking, they, UNC would have lost that game. Um, but anyways, as for Tez Walker, I'm really happy to see him make that kind of instant impact as we all knew that he could have made. Um, and to see all this, all the stuff that's transpired for him and to see him finally balling out with his bros, so on and so forth, it's just really fun to see. But uh, anyway, it's just a really good game for UNC, and I'm just really pumped that one of my locks actually hit this past week. Yeah, I was way wrong, so don't ever listen to me again. Man. Yeah, no, I um, it's definitely a nice little bounce back because I think one of my, uh, my locks the previous week, one hit and one missed, and so I was kind of bitter about the one that missed. Um, so it just feels really good to be back on track. Yeah, I mean – Take any win you can get. Got to celebrate the W's. Always. Let's look at an SEC matchup here. Mizzou takes down Kentucky in Lexington, 38-21. to Mizzou is playing some really good football. And this game really turned when Kentucky was up 14-0 and did not look good for the Tigers. Mizzou has a 4th and 10 at around midfield. They run a fake punt. I don't know if you saw this, Will, but the punter just aired it out. One-on-one coverage to the gunner. I did see and that. Yeah, the guy went up, snagged it, scored a touchdown. Incredibly gutsy call there for Eli Drinkwitz and really flipped the game. Not even a great game for Luther Burden, and they are kind of able to minimize his impact there with only two receptions for 15 yards. And Brady Cook was fine, nothing special. Once again, Devin Leary, this Kentucky offense, has not really showed what I want to see in the passing game. A good game from Ray Davis. But, yeah, Mizzou – they really, after that fake punt, kind of took over here and dominated the rest of this game. And so Mizzou's clearly sitting at number two in the East here along with Florida. But I think that Mizzou, we'll see what they can do against Georgia, but Mizzou can put up some points. And now that Georgia has lost Brock Bowers, who knows, maybe they're a bit vulnerable. And maybe in a shootout, they would struggle. I'm not going to count on that. But yeah, good for the Tigers. Getting a win there, 6-1. and one. And Oregon State defeats UCLA, 36-24. Look, this was another struggle game there for the freshman Dante Moore for UCLA. It's going to take him some time, and I think Oregon State's a pretty good team. Jonathan Smith is a really good coach, and they're kind of able to keep DJ comfortable. Don't ask him to do too much, and he's done well in his role so far. So, yeah, Oregon State is sitting at 6-1, and one, and they have a pretty good shot at being 9-1 and one before their last two games of the year, which are Oregon and Washington. So, who knows? Maybe Oregon State gets hot and can shake up the Pac-12 a bit. It'd be a lot of fun if they did. Yeah, it would be. And so, yeah, I think that that will kind of close out a exciting week seven. Excited to get back to you all for some week eight action and preview. But, yeah, let's hop into some discussion. Will, are you going to have to start talking to your kids about 11-1 and one Iowa? I Look, <laughs> Iowa can lose – almost any game because of how anemic their offense is, but I'm going to read you out their schedule. No, I'm looking have, at it right now. Yeah, look, Minnesota at home, Northwestern at home, Rutgers and Illinois all at home. Four straight road games, then on the road at Nebraska, that Black Friday game. I mean, that's... They're going to be favored in every game. Yeah, there is a extremely realistic possibility that this actually happens. They finish out 11-1 uh, when the Big Ten West and are playing for a title in Indianapolis. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I, That's I think they're going to be in the title either way. Whether or not they're playing for the playoffs in Indy would be Man, it's unreal. Just... I mean, they'll get smashed by Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State, but would be really, really funny. And, you know, I think Iowa is going to go 10-1, and one and they're going to lose to Nebraska on Black Friday. You think they'll lose to Nebraska and Lincoln? I just think as much as I would love for them to go – 11 and 1, and people probably don't know this, but I actually went to the Iowa Michigan State Big Ten Championship in 2015. I kind of hopped on that Iowa bandwagon. It was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think, even though the schedule is very manageable, I just don't see how you can win all these games in a row if your quarterback is completing five passes a game for 30 yards. But so, if anyone can do it, it's Iowa. So we've talked about, like, whenever we discuss Iowa games, that they have, like, that 25-point threshold that they have to meet in order to, like, truly win games. Iowa, as a team, has only met that threshold this year twice. And to be fair, they both came in wins. It came in week one against uh, Utah State. They won 24-14. to um, And then it came in week three. Oh, excuse me. They... Excuse me. Yeah, I yeah. I, I read the wrong score. I apologize. Good Lord. Um, it yes, happened yes. twice. I said, I said, yeah. <laughs> I just made a whole point about talking about a 25 point threshold. And I mentioned the first score with the 24. Whoops. Um, apologies for that. Um, it happened once in week three against Western Michigan. They put up uh, 41 points. They won 41 to 10. And um, it happened two weeks later. Uh, they're bounced back after that absolute horrendous showing um, against Penn State. They put up 26 um, against Michigan State and won 26-16. But other than that, they have only done it twice, and yet they've still found a way to put themselves in a really good position for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think what I'm kind of rooting for is, and we joked about it, what if Iowa goes 11-2 and and plays in the Rose Bowl or whatever, but they're averaging 20 points per game. Do you have to fire the Sun? Do you have to fire Brian? I mean, because nothing's really changed since last year. Mm-hmm. We we already knew they had a good defense and a bad offense. And I wanted to bring up the stat. So Iowa's scoring offense is 115th in the country, and their their scoring defense is 10th. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I feel bad for that defense, but – I mean, I was setting back football 40 years. But no longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So who knows? I was – I might actually sit down and watch a full Iowa game just to get the experience, but it's pretty funny. I don't I don't want to sound biased or mean or anything like that, but I'm not sure. I'd, I'd wish watching a full Iowa game like that on my worst enemy. Yeah, it's pretty rough. That Iowa-Nebraska game, too, oh, is going to be one of those where it's going to pro- probably be the same score, 15-6. to six. That's just Big Ten football, though. That's what we live for. Yeah, and those graphics that people post when it's the punt, game. Punt, ball punt, punt, field goal, fumble, yeah. punt, interception, punt. It's so funny. You got to love that. And it, yeah, let's, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but, well, is there any way that Jimbo Fisher is not the head coach at A&M next year? So, yes and no, in my opinion. Um, I give it a 95% chance that he is. Um, so what I'm saying is it's extremely like- likely that he will come back um, unless, you know, a loses out, misses a bowl game, 
you know, loses the recruiting class, loses all the talent on the roster now. If that happens, then yeah, you kind of got a clean house and just bite the bullet on the paycheck. But as I was saying just a second ago, the paycheck, um, that's the main reason why he is still in College Station. That's why he will continue to be in College Station for the foreseeable future, as much as I hate to say that. Um, because he's making $9.5 million a year, and I believe his buyout, if we were to do it like this season, is like $75 million or something, if not more. I, that number might be off, but it's something around that ballpark. Um, it's just an absurd amount of money that he would be owed because his contract is fully guaranteed. Um, so unless he truly just like loses out and loses the locker room, and absolutely sends AM on a downward spiral completely down the drain, unlike anything we'd seen, like even worse than last year, then he unfortunately, at least to my knowledge and what I've read and know and believe, will be back in College Station for next fall. Yeah, and you mentioned the buyout. And look, AM is undoubtedly going to pay their next coach if it comes to that a good amount of money too. And you have to not only pay Jimbo, but his assistants and then I mean, that's – look, Anim has a lot of money, but that's a, probably an over $100 million Easily. type of thing there. Easily. Yeah, and so I don't know. I, I think AM's going 7-5. That's fair. That's where I think it's going to end up. I think they're going to lose to Ole Miss and LSU. But I don't even know if it really is about the wins. I think at this point it's just do the higher-ups A&M believe that things are on the right track there. And, I, yeah, they're I don't not, know. They're not, yeah. and they won't be. Um, the one thing though you mentioned recruiting recruiting isn't falling apart at the moment and look like AM even in a five and seven year i mean they lost anthony hill which is a big deal but the whole class didn't fall apart and i don't really see that happening unless things just get really really bad but kind of one thing with jimbo and my view on it is i just think he's done a poor job managing the roster i think that you can look at all the highly rated classes Look, they sound the highest rated recruiting class of all time, but when you pull back the curtains, it really kind of shows there's some holes in that roster. I mean, yeah. having a bunch of five-star defensive line is obviously extremely important, but there's no reason there should be those major holes on the offensive line and a cornerback. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, your com- A&M's completely stacked in one direction on certain positions, and they are absolutely real thin in other ones. And so I, um, I don't really know what else they can do right now um and the thing too um i will say this i saw this on twitter and i couldn't agree with it more this past weekend um jimbo if you've watched any of our games or anyone listening has watched any AM game this season he doesn't coach aggressive or he doesn't coach aggressively um what i mean by that is you know fourth and one fourth and two situations like where it's like four down territory he's going to be the guy who punched the ball or if you saw on Saturday, um, you know, Adam forces like a, a quick three and out, a major three and out with a chance to potentially go put up some more points before halftime and really feel good about um, going to the locker room. Um, he refused to call timeout. Adam had three timeouts left. Um, all, or, um, Tennessee had their punt team on the field with like a minute and 13 seconds left. Jimbo doesn't call timeout. He lets the clock run like all the way down to like 40 seconds. Um, Tennessee punts the ball. We call fair catch. And he literally sends the offense out there to kneel out the clock with 40 seconds left. Like what What even is that? Um, and so what I'm saying is Jimbo doesn't coach to win. He coaches not to lose. 
Um, you kind of touched on that about another coach uh, just a moment ago. Um, but that is the true definition and summarization of Jimbo Fisher's time here so far at AM. Actually, I take that back. When he first got here, like this first year, second year, so on and so forth, and the 2020 year, um, he was definitely coaching a lot more to win than he was to not lose. But now I feel like ever since that second extension came in, when there were some rumors a couple of years ago about his name being thrown around with um, with LSU, um, as soon as that second extension came in, the dude like literally – he can be the worst person at his job in the history of college football. And he will still be given a total of $95 million when it's all said and done, whether it's, you know, immediate or whether it's paid out throughout the years. So either way, he just doesn't really have an incentive, at least in my opinion, I don't know why he would necessarily have an incentive when everything that um, he would truly want out of a coaching position is just fully guaranteed to him. Um, And so ultimately it just depends more for him on and he's not he's not trying to succeed for a paycheck he's pretty much trying to succeed now just for self-pride um and it just depends on just how bad he wants to succeed or if he just wants to say hell with it and just do an average job not worry about the stress of being a good college football coach and just milk the freaking money tree till it's dry and yeah thank you sorry about that i mean and yeah we've talked about coaches coaching scared and the football gods kind of frown upon that as you see teams lose games like that all the time when you play not to lose. But, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I obviously don't like A&M, but I've been in the spot with a coach, and it's not fun. I actually rooted against Texas all of Tom Herman's last year. so I believe it. And, I, you know, I'm pretty damn close to doing the same thing here, man. Yeah, not a fun spot to be in, but – it is a big story going on, so I thought we should discuss it. So, yeah, that'll kind of recap our college football discussion for this week. We're going to hop into one life advice, which is – A little off the wall. <laughs> yeah, pretty tough to handle. So anonymous submission here, but essentially the question is that this girl and her boyfriend both have medical school and health facility oper- uh, kind of aspirations there very busy students and, and so on and so forth. yeah very very busy students a lot of school ahead and i don't know i guess she really is thinking into the future and she would like to have three to four kids but her boyfriend really thinks that a family of four meaning two kids is the way to go and so yeah she just wants to know how to handle this in her relationship knowing that they have I guess, different views on a pretty big part in their lives. So, yeah, do you want me to take this first or do you want to hop in? Please, Dr. Phil, this is all you, boss. Yeah, I didn't really expect to be tasked with a question of this magnitude, but that's why it's we're almost here. almost like we marriage counselors now, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, knowing these people, they are our grade, so juniors in college. So I think you still have – some time to go and i don't really think that that's something you have to worry about right now but yeah i think when you get to that point you just have to sit down and have a discussion and hopefully both of y'all are mature enough to come to an agreement work it out i think that i think it'll work out but yeah i mean i think i would focus more on organic chemistry than having kids right now but that's just where I'm at. If there's anything you want to touch on it, but yeah, all in all, I think that 
you just gotta be honest, sit down, have a honest and open conversation. Communication is always key. And yeah, I think it'll work out. You know, I, uh, I have little, if any at all to say about this because it's hard enough for me to like even get out of bed just and like actually get to class on time. So the thought of, you know, someone our age right now already talking maybe potentially about a kid, they must be absolute light years ahead of where I am right now. So props to them. But, um, anyways, um, I believe in fairness. I believe in both sides trying to be as happy as they can or be as happy as possible. And so, you know, if one side wants two and the other side wants four, just, just say hell with it and meet in the middle and compromise with three. Um, I mean, cause you know, for one person that's one over what they're asking and for one person that's one under what they're asking, but at the same time it's in between two and four. So kind of makes sense in my mind. Um, or maybe if you if you decide to have two, you just get two dogs, and then it works out. That's a, that's also a good point. Um, yeah, that's the thing too. I feel like I feel like every single person before they have a kid should at least have a pet for like some kind of pet, like a dog, a cat, a lizard, or uh, what was the name of that thing you you talked about last week? Axolotls. Yes, an axolotl. <laughs> Anything, just so you feel like you're ready enough to actually take care of a little human. Um, so do the people who submitted this, do either one of them have any pets at all? Yeah. The girl has a cat, a kitten. Okay. Well, that's a good start. Um, I'm just trying to comprehend this entire last five minutes of what we just went through. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's a tough one overall. I I think our overriding message here is just to find a compromise, uh, see what works find a compromise, have a conversation when it's the right time. I have a feeling that this is probably a bit one-sided on someone's part. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't really know if I have anything else yeah. to say about this. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I wish I could help out some more, but yeah, I think that'll just about finish it off. Uh, I will probably be attending another intramural game, assuming that I'm not banned so how's the coaching career gone by the way i think we might push that off until the spring okay but that's fair i don't want to give away too much for negotiation purposes but yeah i'll get back to y'all about the intramural soccer game that i attend tomorrow uh the team's goalie team that i'm rooting for that my roommate's on is actually injured we don't know how he got hurt but something outside of soccer which is unacceptable in my opinion but yeah if i don't get tossed tomorrow i will have some good recaps from the game. But yeah, I think that's just about going to close out this episode. If Colton, well, you, you, should, anything else you should just say hell with it and just insert yourself into the game tomorrow. I don't know. I'm not the best at soccer. You should be like that guy, uh, that coach on Friday Night Lights, you know, like see something going wrong against your team. Well, you, then, just, you just run out there and tackle tackle the player. Yeah, and go ahead and tackle Tim Riggins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that's a, probably a good place to – in the show um yeah with uh with all this being said we thank you very much for listening um if you made it this far we really appreciate it um 
If you have any comments, suggestions, ideas, anything you want to talk about at all on the show, you know where to find us. Um, as Colton mentioned last time, as Colton mentioned last time, excuse me, um, we now have a Twitter. Um, we haven't been posting on it for about a week and a half because we got locked out of it somehow with our whole 15 followers. We don't really know what happened, but our Twitter is back up and running again. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, um, and we also have our email, which is linked in our bio somewhere on Instagram, I believe. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, that'll just about do it. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you later this week. Thank you all.